Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So every now and then, I kind of have some theories, and I like to try to test those against people who I believe are smarter than me. Yesterday was an example of that on our program, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. And I always love the chance to talk to a guy like Terrence Edwards, the great former wide receiver, because not only does he understand the game as a player, but he works with so many of the guys who are currently Georgia players. And so when it comes to guys catching passes and doing things like that, Terrence is just a really good good resource. And as I said before, it's also the institutional knowledge that's gained from having himself been a very good player. He's still the only player in Georgia history to have over 1,000 yards receiving. That's a pretty big deal all the way around. So I kind of threw a theory out to Terrence. And I'm going to try to explain why this theory kind of exists in my mind a little bit. But when I look at Saturday's game against South Carolina, I look at it as actually pretty important for some of those young Georgia receivers. Think about some of the freshmen that are playing right now, or maybe more prominently some of those second-year guys that had some moments a year ago but are trying this year to kind of grow into the role of really being dependable targets, the kind of guys that you can really rely on. And no matter who's playing quarterback for Georgia, whether it's Stetson Bennett maybe this Saturday or hopefully JT Daniels in future weeks, that you just have – receivers who have become a little seasoned they've kind of grown up a little bit they are a little bit more comfortable in their role and from that standpoint I think home games are really important on that last week's game against UAB this Saturday's game against South Carolina honestly none of us are that stressed but on the road at Vanderbilt the following week but then one more home game against Arkansas step up in uh, competition because the Hogs are pretty good but but these home games right now are a real chance just to get your legs under you a little bit. Get comfortable in your role on this Georgia team because it's never easier than it is playing at home. So I kind of threw this at Terrence yesterday in the thought that I was going to talk more about that on today's show. So for what it's worth, Terrence kind of agreed with what I said. Let me give you a little taste of him kind of sharing his own insight into that. This is Terrence. When you think about the first game of the season, that was the big game of, of the week. Uh, everyone is watching against that type of opponent – then once you come home against UAB, your nerves kind of settle. You know it's not the most hyped game of the year, and you just could be in your comfort zone. And now uh, against South Carolina, the first SEC opponent, um, you got two games up under your belt for these young receivers. Now you know what college football is all about. Um, now you can just go out there and relax and play, and that's probably the biggest difference. So I think that's pretty interesting. And then Terrence would go on to say that from his own career as a player, you just feel a very big difference in terms of being at home, being on the road. It's just noticeably different, especially in the SEC. Terrence, once again. I can remember you know, my very first home game. It, it, was, it was home, and that helped a lot, just knowing that you know you in front of your home fans, your family is there, and they're there to root you on. When you go to an opposing stadium they're there to to boo you and you know it, it gets very uncomfortable sometimes so having home games for young receivers definitely helps so I think that's really uh pretty wise by Terrence somebody who understands this somebody who's kind of been in that spot before and I'll tell you where the genesis of all this was for me and maybe sometimes it's incorrect to compare things across sports totally grant you that but but the the genesis of all this for me was have you ever heard the phrase and you hear this a lot come playoff time in the NBA that in the NBA it's sort of thought of that role players play better at home. Like gamblers talk about this a lot, that 
you know, think about like your third or fourth score in an NBA team, your your post presence that provides some rebounding and some defense. Think about guys like that, not LeBron James, but they're like, you know, the, the supporting cast, those role players. The thought here is that role players play better at home. I think it's is it Hubie Brown, the longtime analyst that invented that as a as a talking point? I, for some reason, I'm thinking Hubie may have started that, but but you've kind of heard that said about the NBA before that that role players play better at home. You go on the road, sometimes those guys you know may struggle a little bit. That, that's why you get such a different outcome oftentimes home versus road for these NBA teams in the playoff. It's really the it's the impact the environment makes on the role players that changes everything there. And so with that in mind, I think the same thing could kind of similarly be true for some of these Georgia wide receivers there too because a lot of these guys are young and even though you see the freshman phenom every now and then somewhere in the SEC or somewhere across college football who has a great season, great, you know, like sort of steps onto the field as a college football player and he's kind of already great. There are some examples where that seems like it's true. For the most part though, the receiver position in college football is still kind of a, you know, that's still kind of a veteran's position. That's still kind of the position that you kind of grow into a role over the course of your time. So last week, you look back at the UAB game, even though it wasn't JT Daniels who was starting, even though it was Stetson Bennett who was starting, Bennett was still delivering the football, and there were a lot of young Georgia receivers who kind of got a moment a week ago. Obviously, Brock Bowers had three catches for 107 yards, also had two touchdowns. He may be kind of there. He may be one of those rare examples of the young freshman type guy who kind of shows up with a level of polish already. So Bowers may be the exception to this rule, but look at guys like second-year player Jermaine Burton, who probably struggled a little bit week one against Clemson, but did have three catches for 92 yards and a touchdown against uh, UAB. Obviously, a lot of that coming on one play. Arian Smith also had a 61-yard touchdown catch. Adonai Mitchell, the freshman, had two catches. Lad McConkle only had one catch, but it went for 32 yards. He had kind of a big moment. Justin Robinson got his first career touchdown there. You had a lot of young players that had had big moments in the comfortable environment of playing at home. I mean, remember what Terrence said a moment ago. There's a comfort zone. that You feel safe when you're at home. You don't have everybody booing. You're not distracted by all of that. You can just relax and kind of play your game in pretty friendly environs all the way around there. And that's why I think this Saturday is also really important for Georgia too because it's another example where the same thing is true. And maybe South Carolina is a slight step up in competition, or maybe they're not. The truth is, going into the uh, last week's game, I would have told you that I believe that UAB is probably better than South Carolina. That may still be true. I honestly don't know. But one way or another, it's another chance for these young receivers just to get comfortable playing at home. Now, let me make a very specific point about what I mean by this. When you get to October the 9th, that's a road game at Auburn. We'll find out a lot more about Auburn on Saturday. They're playing against Penn State. It'll be a chance for Auburn to either fight hard and show themselves to be a tough out in SEC play, or maybe we'll shrug that off and decide this is not a very good Auburn team led by a first-year coach with a pretty depleted roster. Still to be determined. But let's just assume for the sake of conversation that Auburn at least plays well enough on Saturday to have Georgia fans' attention for that game on October the 9th. Here's the one thing I think you can fairly safely assume that guys like Burton and Justin Robinson and A.D. Mitchell and maybe even like Marcus Rosemey Jackson, guys like that, these relatively young receivers in this Georgia offense, they are not likely to play better at Auburn than they're playing right now. So the best chance you would have for them to be a big factor in the first really tough, hostile road environment of the season 
is allow these guys to get comfortable right now. Now, it's entirely possible these guys are going for 100 yards at home and they're not quite able to do that as much on the road for whatever reason because football seems to be tougher when you're playing in a hostile environment. But the one thing you know they're probably not going to do is greatly exceed their level of play on the road compared to what they're doing here at home. So South Carolina, even in a game on Saturday where the overall point spread suggests the game's not going to be all that compelling, getting experience, even if it's not Daniels throwing to them, even if it's Stetson Bennett again who's throwing to them, getting experience for these receivers, getting these guys, as Terrence said, more comfortable with what college football is all about, more, what is it that Kirby uses, the phrase he used, banking some reps, banking a few more reps with these guys so that when they do get on the road, all of a sudden that environment's not quite as intimidating as it could be. Their their role in the game isn't quite so confusing anymore. Maybe things have slowed down here a little bit. I do think there's a chance this is true. Terrence seems to think it is there as well, that you are trying to get some experience for a, a group of quite talented but still a little bit young and still kind of inexperienced receivers. Home games kind of clustered together with uh, South Carolina now, brief hiatus at Vanderbilt, which doesn't probably matter all that much, back home again for a step up against Arkansas on October 2nd. This is also a chance for your young receivers to step up between the hedges where they feel safe as they grow into being reliable pass-catching targets as the season goes along. Let me slightly shift gears here for a moment, but stay on the offense all the way around. The other big thing that folks are watching as you head towards Saturday is a chance for the Georgia running game to improve. Needs to happen. The overall stats for the uh, Georgia rushing attack certainly don't make you think of RBU right now. And listen, I think there's a lot of maybe finger-pointing to go along for why that's happening. I think this is still an offense overall that that opposing defenses don't quite trust Georgia's ability to throw it yet, so therefore they are stacking the run. At least I think that's what UAB did last week as a way of daring Georgia to beat it with the uh, throw game. Last week Georgia did. South Carolina, does it change the way they defend against Georgia on Saturday? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. This is also an offensive line that's had its share of issues a, a little bit, unsettled with who's going to be starting where, injuries have been a, a part of all that but also you've had I think in some cases the interior of this offensive line I think it's been rightly pointed out this group hasn't played as well as you would hope they would I made the comparison last night on cover four live that if you go back and look at 2017 the big breakout that Georgia experienced as a program that year don't discount the emergence of the Georgia offensive line as the reason why year over year 16 to 17 the Georgia offensive line just got way better the emergence of Lamont Gellard a reason why the uh, insertion of freshman starter Andrew Thomas a reason why Isaiah Wynn holding it down for you as a guard sliding over to left tackle who does that sound like by the way but e- either way the, tw- the 2017 offensive line emerged in such a way that the entire program benefited we haven't seen that yet from this Georgia offensive line doesn't mean it won't happen but they haven't quite clicked they haven't quite gelled just as yet and I do think that's part of the reason why the the Georgia rushing attack has been somewhat stymied here through two games. For what it's worth, Kirby Smart used very clear language about his expectations for this aspect of Georgia's attack here this week, and he's ready to see it get better. This is Kirby Smart. You got to do it better. Like you can't you can't do that. Now we may not have our running back get you know over a hundred, but that could happen because we may split them up. You know, we may share it out, but. Certainly would have thought we'd have had more with over than 34, man, and should. Uh, and we got to work hard at that. We've got to be able to create run game. Uh, some of our uh, passing game comes from the, the run game, right, the play action. So your play action is not going to be real good if you're not a good run team. That's part of the success we have on defense is we don't have to honor play action 
because we got a good run defense. So we got to be able to make that a threat. We got to be able to make that count and hit people. And we did not, we did not do that at a high rate. Now, how much I had to do with UAB and how much I had to do with us, you know, I, I don't know. I still think UAB has a pretty good team and a pretty good defense. Um, but we did hit them with some explosives. Kirby knows infinitely more about football than I ever will. I won't pretend to be anything other than that. However, I do read a lot of these like uh, geeky X's and O's style blogs, things like that. And for what it's worth, NFL play callers don't seem to agree with what Kirby Smart just said there, which is you have to establish the run to be able to effectively play action. It seems like that would be true, right? But it's been seemingly in the NFL proven true over and over again that you can play action from the word go in the NFL. It's still the most effective you think about all the types of plays that can be called a play action pass is still the most efficient play call in all of football. And it doesn't require establishing the run at the onset of a game to be able to do that. There's been tons written about that at the NFL level from people who are way smarter than me, much the same way that Kirby smart is. So I'm not telling you, I know that Kirby smart is wrong. I'm saying that other smart people that I've heard from would suggest that description of football is probably wrong here that in 2021, this notion of you can't throw it until after you've proven you can run it, that's just not really what football is at the highest levels, the most successful play callers. That's just not quite the way the game is. And I think that is relevant for Georgia because I've been of the belief that the Georgia running game will be at its best once Georgia truly proves that it's a passing attack worth respecting, that it's a passing attack worth paying attention to, that once that occurs at that point in time, the job of the Georgia offensive line gets easier. The job of the Georgia running backs gets more fun because all of a sudden you're doing what Najee Harris did some for Alabama a year ago or what Clyde Edwards Hilaire did for LSU the year before that or what Travis Etienne did for Clemson the year before that. You are running wide, gaping holes. You're running through them uh, against a defense that's very worried about what talented receivers and capable quarterbacks are doing to them because, listen, you can always stop the run by throwing more bodies at it. But the more your passing attack forces defenses to be in conflict and use its 11 players in a different way than just crowding towards the line of scrimmage, boy, that becomes very hard for their all defenses, including maybe the defense that might be defending Georgia as you move toward the, towards the rest of the season. So another thing to watch there, Georgia scored 56 points last week. It was fun to watch the way in which Stetson Bennett kind of you know cut it apart and, and, and really – uh, took that UAB defense to task. This upcoming Saturday, chance to see these young receivers. Do they continue to blossom and play as well as it seemed like they played a week ago? And can the Georgia running game find its footing a little bit more too? Two big reasons to show up to Athens. Very curious what happens under the lights between the hedges on Saturday night. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Kroger, and good to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., uh, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We also start at 945 on DogNation.com, the Dog Nation app. We call that our first and 15, and we love having you there for all of that. Of course, some of you like listening to the show, and I really appreciate that. A lot of you do, really. Our podcast has been on fire as of late, which has been really cool. Um, so you can check that out on the Apple Player or Spotify or any of the other podcast platforms. We post the show each and every day at DogNation.com. A lot of you listen in the Classic City on the radio on 960 The Ref. We love our radio partners there. Big, big fans of what they do 
uh, for folks all throughout the week there on 960 The Ref. And we have a great time being a part of our, our radio station there, too. So huge thanks to everyone who makes that possible. Special thank you, though, directed to our friends at Kroger, who makes this show possible today. And obviously, Kroger is getting you set up for your tailgating as you head towards the weekend. That means so many good things. You can save on hot dogs right now. Uh, Home Chef, hardwood smoke, baby back ribs. That's a uh, really cool thing you can get some good savings on. All your tailgating needs, you can get that today and throughout the weekend there at your local Kroger. You can also use your Kroger, uh, Kroger Plus card and save instantly with fuel points there too. So lots of big incentives for you to check out everything happening at your local Kroger. Go to Kroger.com slash football for more details. That's Kroger.com slash football for more details on all of that. All right, we'll get Jeff Sintel here coming up in just a moment. Busy list of visitors for Georgia on the weekend. We'll preview that. I'm talking about some huge names expected to come in here, and we'll let Jeff tell you all about those. There is some movement with a five-star wide receiver, which is pretty important. Uh, we'll touch on that. And Georgia got a commitment yesterday, too, so you got to talk about that there as well. In fact, let's make that the subject of our Around the Dog House, delivered today by our friends at Marco's Pizza. Love seeing Carlton Madden go public yesterday with what was widely believed and I think now confirmed to have been a silent commit for, by Madden for quite some time. You know, Madden is one of those guys from Cedar Grove. Cedar Grove is one of the deepest, most talented programs. Great-looking shot of him, by the way, with the baseball bat in hand, kind of reminiscent of when Richard LeCount would come into Sanford Stadium before games during his career holding that same bat. Good look at Sanford Stadium in the background there. He gives you the go dog sick him on Twitter. Love that from C.J. Madden. And as I was saying before, uh, Cedar Grove, one of the deepest, most talented programs in the Atlanta area. There are a lot of big names to pay attention to from that program. Madden, though, certainly a part of that conversation there, too. This guy that in so many of these stories the same way. When a three-star really bursts on the scene and gets big-time attention from a place like George, other places like that, the one thing that oftentimes seems to be propelling all that is some sort of body transformation. A guy that, you know, sometimes for the really big guys is about slimming down. Sometimes for the smaller guys is about kind of rocking up. One way or another, you see that kind of body transformation occur. I think the latter is kind of the, the, the case for Madden where he's really put on some good muscle weight. He's really just become kind of a very prominent figure for that Saints defense, one of the best in the state of Georgia. And interesting statement from him to Jeff Sintel. I'm going to read a little bit of this to you, and then we'll – get into more of the conversation with Jeff. So Madden on why he chose Georgia saying it just felt like home. It's an hour away from home. My family definitely played a big part in the role of me staying at home and stuff like that. It's only right to have a top team in the nation to only be an hour away. Now, that's one of those things where, admittedly, for someone like me who's lived in the Atlanta area his entire life and obviously loves the idea of Georgia dominating in-state recruiting. Now, I'm also a hypocrite because when Georgia has a chance to go out and Get a big bear Alexander from Texas. Clearly, I want them to do that or whatever. You know, Kamari Wilson from out of IMG Academy or whatever other like big national names we're going to talk about. I like when Georgia does that too, but it is absolutely a very, very effective pitch to say, "Hey, you're an hour from home. Your whole family can come see you play here. We're going to be camping out at your school because not only do we want you, we want Christian Miller, we want all all kinds of guys that have kind of come through that Cedar Grove program and guys from the Cedar Grove program who are at Georgia right now." We just want to keep that going. We want to keep making that push and keep doing all that. It's a very effective uh, recruiting pitch, I believe. It was fun last year to see how effective it seemed to be where Georgia really leaned on in-state advantage for 
a lot of guys. And it's not always going to work in Atlanta because folks know Atlanta's kind of a transient town. People who live here are not necessarily from here. They don't necessarily have that emotional tie to the University of Georgia. So sometimes Georgia doesn't actually fight from a home court advantage on some of these Atlanta area recruitments. But when you can establish that and win that way, to me, that's always a really good way to do it. Madden seems like a really good player. We'll find out more from Jeff what he brings to the table. But I did want to highlight there, as a part of Around the Doghouse, delivered today by our friends at Marco's Pizza. And, of course, as you head towards the weekend, I want you to think about Marco's Pizza because there are a couple of things that, for my family, really, really important. Honestly, when you're feeding a bunch of kids, obviously great savings is really important. Marco's provides that. But you also want the food that you eat to taste good. You want to feel like that the food that you're eating was well-prepared, worked to you know, to, to really be perfect. And that's exactly what Marco's Pizza provides, whether it's the golden crust that's always baked so perfectly, the three melty cheeses that are kind of on top of all of that, the old world toppings that are just really authentic and just really, really delicious. That's what uh, Marco's Pizza provides for you. I'm sure just hearing me talk about this, you're probably kind of dreaming about the chance to order some for lunch or dinner or whatever else. And I think you should because it's really, really good stuff. Also, it's great savings there as well. You can currently get a large one-topping pizza for just $9.99. You can't beat that deal. That's good stuff. You can order with the Marco's app or online at marcos.com. Of course, participation may vary, so check your local store for details on that. But just know this, Marco's Pizza, pizza lovers, get it. Marco's will also be a part of our Dog Nation postgame show on Saturday. They'll present the moment of the game. That's always really fun, but there's no better moment this weekend than the moment that you get a chance to spend with friends and family when you gather around good pizza from Marco's Pizza. So I hope you'll check that out there for that. We got a lot to check out ourselves now, too, when it comes to UGA recruiting stuff. Uh, big movement, five-star receiver, lots of visitors for this weekend, as big a group of names you can expect, especially for a game in which Georgia's more than a 30-point favorite. It's all really fun and more of a look at the commitment that Georgia picked up for yesterday. Let's do all of that right now as we go on the road with Jeff Sintel, assisted by AAA, and it's great to have all of you with us today as well. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We're on the road, assisted by AAA. We'll say hello to Jeff Sintel. Jeff, of course, will be with me tonight for a really fun game at Marietta High School between Marietta and Parkview, two of the most storied programs in the Atlanta area. Fun to have these two teams on the field against each other here this evening. I'm looking forward to that. We'll talk to Jeff about that before we are done. Uh, but, Jeff, we've got to take care of important business before then. You know, let's talk for a moment about Carlton Madden commits to Georgia yesterday, kind of thought to be a silent commitment. I believe that was confirmed in your story, dognation.com. That's indeed what he had been. And, you know, my theory on one of these three-star guys is when you see a guy go from that to being on the radar of a place like Georgia or the other SEC-type schools that are recruiting him, there's usually a body transformation that seems to be propelling a lot of that. Big guys get slimmer, smaller guys get rocked up. And boy, it seems like Madden's really added a lot of muscle here as of late that uh, that makes him the kind of you know prospect that, that Georgia fans ought to want to know about, that Georgia itself made sure they were very much fully aware of. And it certainly seems like Madden's a little bit of a star on the rise, one of the deepest, most talented programs in the entire Atlanta area, if not the entire state of Georgia. A lot to like about C.J. Madden, right? Yeah, Brandon, you kind of covered a lot of good thoughts right there. For you know, for folks to get all wrapped up in star star rankings, I I got to remind folks, three star is a player that will start at a major college program, including at Georgia. Um, you know, a lot of times I think folks look at the recruiting rankings and they don't understand that it's not how good these players are going to be when they get to Georgia or anywhere in the SEC. It's how good that the services project them to be five years out as potential NFL draft picks. Um, which is very hard to do. 
which is why you have a lot of the skews and, you know, how three stars work out versus four stars and five stars. But um, I really love this commitment, uh, this pickup for Georgia. And, and, you know, Brennan, his story to me stands maybe in its own universe alone in terms of the way Carlton Madden went about his business. Carlton Madden, in ninth grade, he was at Arabia Mountain High School, and he tweeted out this picture yesterday. He created a player profile, and his desired college he wanted to attend was Georgia. Um, flash forward to last last summer, man, I saw him, and I was like, man, that's a pretty stinking good player. Love the way he moves. Love the way he competed on a defensive line with a lot of a lot of studs at Cedar Grove High School. And I was like, man, that kid could be something. I think I tweeted something out. Uh, but at that time, he was only about 205 and 210 pounds. And this is the part that I love. Uh, Dog Nation Daily listeners, we're not trying to plug any companies here. But that young man had about two to three peanut butter sandwiches a day and a bunch of push-ups yeah. for about six months. And he went from 205 to about 240. Then he goes to Georgia, and I think he has to camp twice. I mean, he basically did everything but – uh, install bricks in the new uh, in the new indoor facility and in the new uh, team weight room headquarters locker room and all that. He worked out for Schumann at inside linebacker. He worked out for Lanning. He was in a position group where there were only four guys. So when his head coach tells me he was dog tired and Georgia worked him full slap out, as our grandfathers would say, uh, that's what they did. He got the offer from Georgia. Took him about maybe uh, the first week of. Uh, August before he silently committed, but Brandon, he's on, think how sweet this slice of life must sound. He's at a steak dinner at a very fine eatery in yeah. Atlanta. It's his birthday dinner. He's eating steak. No more PB and J. No more PB and J's on the plate. See, Peaches, she always gets excited when this happens. I know it. No she's more hungry. PG. When I tell when I tell this story, she's like, "Man, tell them the part about the PB and J." Sure. Um, and he she has he has steak on his plate. No more PBJs. And he gets on his phone at his birthday dinner with his family and, and tells Dan Lanning he wants to be a bulldog. And then hilarity, Bollywood, uh, dance parties, you know, soul train dance lines, all that stuff takes place. Because the hardest part then was he had to wait six weeks to tell the, tell the world he was a Georgia Bulldog. So neither one of us are nutritionists, but it does kind of occur to me that like one of the hardest things for like a young athlete, like a high school athlete, is it takes a lot of protein to add a lot of muscle mass, right? And protein's like really expensive. I mean, you know, you want to have enough like meat to you know add a bunch of muscle mass. That's pretty expensive. It certainly seems like for a lot of these young guys, like peanut butter is the most cost-effective way to get the fuel that your body needs. As I said before, you should consult your own nutritionist. <laughs> don't don't take, take my word for that because I'm honestly not the uh, perfect picture of physical health. But it does seem like that, that peanut butter, assuming you're not allergic to it, I guess, but it, it does work pretty well as being a pretty good fuel for your body because those steaks are expensive. And that, you know, especially in this current economy, some of that meat's pretty expensive. Uh, but peanut butter seems to be a pretty good way for these uh, aspiring young athletes to add a little bit of muscle to them, right? You know, Brennan, it's funny. You and I cover a lot of Georgia high school football, and this has happened for the last 25 years where a, a big city coach uh, will go or, or maybe a rural coach will go to the big city. When you get to a program, and this is a coach that comes in with some reputation and some, and some poise, uh, he's wanting to start a program. He starts making sure the boys have – uh, nutrition, have three meals a day. Uh, like in great example here is in, even in Rush Pope's play, case in Colquitt County, they created um, a, a school nutritionist position that was yeah. actually for his wife. 
but um, there was a new room that was just filled with food to make sure that everybody would have food to eat. And a lot of the times, whether people could afford the the muscle milk or something else like that, they would. But a lot of the schools would turn to – they'd have people making about 200 PB&Js for breakfast and lunch during the summer, and that's how they turn their athletes. If somebody needs to put on 25 pounds for a junior or senior season, PB&J, that was the way to go. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Well, the way to go for Georgia to head towards this weekend is obviously a huge list of visitors. I want to do the Arch Manning thing because obviously that's pretty, you know, it's certainly interesting to have him on campus. But I'm also really interested in the fact that Anai White's expected to believe there, uh, expected to be there too. This is a guy, Jeff, when you think about, you know, impact defenders potentially for Georgia's uh, 2022 class that – I don't know. I guess I've always thought it was a little bit of a pipe dream, and maybe there wasn't what I kind of viewed that real substantial connection between he and Georgia. But getting him on campus, at least a step towards maybe forging that, what do you think of White being expected to be there and what this could mean for if you, if you want to showcase a dominant defense to a potentially future dominant defender, uh, this seems to be a pretty good opportunity to do that. How much can things change with Georgia and Anai White on the basis of what could happen with him expected to be on campus? Yeah, uh, Anai White's a good place to start because I think he was a guy, he's a guy that wants to love Georgia, but there was maybe uh, some disconnect. The reason why I say he wants to love Georgia is one of his best friends in the world, maybe, or at least a very good friend type mentor is Tyke Smith, who's at Georgia right now as a, as a transfer portal yeah. out of West Virginia. I still think he's a couple of weeks away from maybe playing, maybe at least one or two weeks um, from playing. But you know, there's a natural buy in there with he knows Tyke, and Tyke's telling how it is. Here's the difference. Uh, two really big points here for Tyke Smith. I mean, excuse me, for, for Nye White to bring up here. It's one, um, he, he, he visited Georgia officially over the summer. And, folks, every official visit or every official visit to Georgia is good. Um, this one was just merely good. It, most, like 95% of official visits and visits to Georgia are, you know, fantastic. You know, dance the jig, fantastic. Uh, Fred Astaire, old. 1920s, 1930s movie, fantastic. It was just okay when Anai White visited Georgia. Um, and I think Georgia has a different picture to show him now. Georgia before was that defense that, hey, we can get you to the league. We're not going to give up a lot of points. We're going to have a great statistical marvel of a defense. Well, that's not Georgia's defense anymore. Georgia's defense is suffocating. Georgia's defense is like, what would happen if all the zombies on The Walking Dead ran a 4-3? Uh, that's what George's defense looks like now, and that's what a hunting a defense, an attacking defense, a suffocating defense. That's kind of what a nine white wanted to see because previously he was looking really hard at Alabama, really looking really hard at Ohio State, also looking at Texas A and M. A couple of those schools had more of that picture of what a nine white was looking for, and now Georgia certainly has that picture. So it'll be very interesting. I still think I don't. I don't know. It's so long ago, Brandon. I don't know if I remember this correctly, but I know Georgia played schools like Texas A and M in the 2019 season at night. I believe they played Missouri at night. Mm-hmm. But for me, even though it's South Carolina, this feels like the first really big home game at night on TV, SEC opponent, where the lights and everything's going to come out. It feels like for some reason. I don't know if those were the full Georgia experiences in, in late November in 2019 for us to go back to 
the last time the stage would kind of be set like it will on Saturday night. No, I think you're right. Obviously, you're hoping the weather cooperates because that was some some of the issue late in that 2019 season was you had bad weather games. There's a chance this one, I guess, could be tomorrow there as well. But you'd love to kind of, even if the opponent's not quite as sexy, you'd love to kind of harken back to what you know Notre Dame felt like in September of 2019 here in September of 2021. You didn't have that last year in 2020 because of the uh, pandemic but boy you love the thoughts of kind of creating some of that here on Saturday night and obviously a guy like Inai White not the only one that has a chance to be impressed by that I do want to mention Arch Manning by name you know the Manning thing for me right now is just the celebrity factor I don't know that I have a real sense of what Manning might be thinking other than it's obviously all the top schools that seem to be vying for his services right now and I guess I'm always going to be kind of curious of how much of this is about manning the prospect and how much of this is about manning the last name because that's not necessarily the same thing here but once again it's also just kind of cool to have him here you know there's going to be a a lot of attention paid to wherever he is and so I'm hoping that he sees a little bit of a show too and listen I don't count Georgia out in that recruitment because Georgia's not really out of any recruitment it seems like uh, down to the wire with a lot of the top names in the country regardless of position so I guess uh, Arch Manning's worth mentioning here too as you reported yesterday at dognation.com he is expected to be on hand Brandon I'm going to give you uh, this is a funny little bit I want to talk to you about I'm going to give you total autonomy to defend yourself all of our viewers on <clears throat> excuse me all of our viewers on before the hedges Wednesday night they feel they pretty much feel that your new favorite recruit for Georgia to land is Arch Manning, just because it's the five-star quarterback, the legacy name. Uh, what say you, sir, about those dire accusations on your character? I wouldn't say that I've fallen in love with Arch Manning yet. I mean, I understand understand why your audience, my audience, would assume that because that's typically kind of my M.O. is, you know, the next you know big na- name, the next shiny toy, I kind of move along to that. And I'm sure at some point in time, uh, you know, I listen, I'll ride the Manning thing for all the clicks I can get out of it. I'm sure at some point in time we will definitely do that. But as of yet... I don't know that I have much of a feel for Manning. And uh, it's not to say that I'm against him or anything like that, but but this is not someone yet that I've developed much of an emotional connection to. Whereas, you know, Vandegrift, I did. He was an in-state guy. Stockton, I do. He's an in-state guy. I'm not saying I prefer those players to Arch Manning. I just feel like I felt connected to them more quickly. Uh, for now, Arch Manning is just kind of a, a big brand name that I'm aware of, but but I don't know that I have a strong feeling about him as of yet one way or another. I'm still pretty wait and see on that all the way around, I would say. Um, it's funny, Brandon. Some of this feels planned. Uh, I, one of the things we also we've reported is Reuben Owens, uh, the second, uh, three, the number three running back in the country for 2023, a guy who definitely has more Alvin Kamara, maybe Reggie Bush, maybe bigger DeAndre Swift vibes to his skill set a little bit. Um, those two guys have been talking, and they're in concert to know that they're going to they're gonna be in Athens on Saturday. Their, their plans kind of linked up, and those guys have kind of linked up a little bit already uh, in the 2023 class. Uh, some fascinating things about Arch Manning here. Uh, number one, he still doesn't have a Twitter account. I can't believe when, when that's still not a thing here, but um, – when your last name is Manning, I don't know if maybe you do need a Twitter account for future NIL endeavors. You're going to be pretty set anyway. The things that you're hearing and seeing and reading about Arch Manning is like a Manning. He sees the field very well. He says that Kirby Smart would probably be a great fun coach to play for. He feels that Athens is a premier amazing. I think, I think in a 24-7 sports story, Arch Manning even said that uh, he thought it may be one of the better college towns, if not the best college town in the country. 
Now let me let, now let me try to speak to all those out here that are rolling their eyes or they're slapping their they're slapping the table and they're like Jeff Brandon Arch Manning is not going to come to Georgia. Did they? Does you know who Georgia has stacked in front of him and everything else? He's not going to be any part of that. I would say not so fast, my friend, in my in my best Corso manner on this because I'm not saying I'm not saying that Arch Manning is going to go to Georgia, but the reason everybody thinks Arch Manning will not go to Georgia. That's going to exist everywhere he's looking, except perhaps maybe Texas and Ole Miss. Alabama has dudes in 20 and 2021 and 22. Clemson has dudes in 2021 and 2022. The programs he's looking at, and it seems right now there's, there's some Texas, there's some Ole Miss, there's some Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, you know, the, the biggest of the big, let's say. Uh, you know, curious that I don't know, I don't hear a lot about LSU with Arch Manning at all, mm. uh, which might be saying quite a lot. So for, for folks that think he's not going to come to Georgia because of the man named Gunner and the man named Brock and still the man named Carson Beck and the man named the mailman, all those guys, that's not going to bother this family at all. Because I, I, guess, I guess certainly when your last name is Manning, you get the feeling that you're going to be good and prepared and ready to compete wherever you go. Brandon, he's 6'4", and it's not just his Manning name. Uh, that's getting a lot of uh, interest. Of course, that's probably a, a big driver for a lot of folks. But Manny's 6'4". He's a five-star. He's the number one player in the country for the 2023 class. Of course, um, grades are weighted because it's a quarterback. And I would, I would say here that grades are probably weighted a little bit further because his last name is Manning yeah. because he is a marketable icon that will attract a lot of curiosities no matter the fan base. I mean, Let's face it, wherever he visits, and I think he's going to visit Clemson, Florida State. He's going to visit uh, Alabama for a game this year. Um, he's going to visit Ole Miss for a game this year. And, and, you know, this is totally different. This is one of the things I want our audience to know is there's something to this because Manning's first ever college visit. Now, I'm not talking about when he was 12 or 10 and he's, at, he's with his dad, Cooper, or his uncles at a, at a Duke game or an Ole Miss game. Um, you know, he couldn't visit at all uh, uh, last year. And you go back before that 2019, I mean, really, you're talking about a 2023 recruit. So I thought the pandemic serves as a really good bridge for him between where he goes, a Manning kid growing up that's playing middle school ball to a viable high school recruit. Now he's the number one recruit in the country for a class that's only two cycles away from signing. The first visit here is to the University of Georgia, and I do think that's significant. Uh, I want to get into more recruiting talk with you in a moment, including uh, an update on Luther Burden here, the five-star wide receiver. I appreciate your thoughts on Manning there. Let me also say this for the folks who are watching right now, if our audience is like the population at large, there's kind of a scary thing that you have to consider here for a moment that about half the people watching right now or listening right now, if the primary wage earner in your family were to unfortunately die, you know, within six months, you know, there would be a hard time paying the bills, a hard time fulfilling your financial obligations if that were to be the case. It's a horrible thing to think about, but it is a reality for uh, many people. It can be the kind of thing that could put you, the people you love, your your spouse, your children, could put them in jeopardy, not enough money in the event that, uh, the, that someone in your family were to lose their life. It's one of the reasons why you want to make sure you are squared away when it comes to life insurance, one of the most important decisions that you can make. And the best way to make sure you get squared away is to talk to one of the AAA uh, financial consultants one of the one of the people that can help kind of walk you through all of that one of their uh financial service associates can help you understand all the life insurance options that are available to you so 
make sure you do that. Make sure you take care of your family, not just right now, but also in the event that you're gone, that you're still able to take care of them for their uh, life. And uh, I know that's important to you. And life insurance, one of the great ways you can do that. So AAA is also the name to know for life insurance. Give them a call, 866-695-0222. That's 866-695-0222. You can also find them online. That's aaa.com slash life, AAA.com slash life. Or you can also stop by and visit your local AAA office there today. Life insurance, important decision. AAA, a great provider, the best provider for that life insurance for you. So make sure you check them out today on all of that. Jeff, uh, let me talk Luther Burden here for a moment. Five-star wide receiver. Got a top three dropping, I believe, today. Um, I think at one point in time, George was thought to be in that top three. And I guess you think about a Missouri being in here, maybe the possibility of his old school that he was committed to, Oklahoma, showing back up here. Where do you think things stand with Burden right now? Brandon, it might give you the chance to say uh, top three and not three. I don't know if we've ever used that particular uh, colloquialism before, but um, top three and not three. I think George is going to be in that top three. Uh, Luther Burden, the third. I think everybody, uh, Brandon, we got another the third. We've got to make sure we're, we're identifying him right. It's actually Luther Burden, the third. Well, there you go. Uh, five star. I thought he played pretty well in the St. John Bosco, Bosco game last week in a losing effort. Uh, for the East St. Louis Flyers, and their mascot is an old biplane. Their, their logo is an old a biplane from like you know way 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 back. I thought the Kitty Hawk days. I thought that's really cool to kind of see a, a high school called the Flyers with um, a very old time model uh, flying <laughs> flying machine. Yeah, that's let's really call cool. it uh, as their logo. So uh, he's actually dropping a top three. Uh, he's actually already established that he is going to make his decision on October the 20th. There's a lot of news this week for Luther Burden III. Uh, I'm going to be curious to see if he, he still keeps old old commitment home Oklahoma in his, I guess we should call it a final three um, now for Luther Burden III because I, I do believe Georgia and Missouri are going to be in there. I know folks are infatuated with the five-star ranking, and he's the nation's number one Um Nation's number one wide receiver on the 24-7 sports composite. Look, I'm going to be honest. I think he's probably a top five recruit in a lot of years or even this year's. Uh, as I say a lot, probably going to probably going to need to say a lot whenever we're talking about rankings, is I still think the rankings are at least six months behind of where they should be. A lot of guys uh, we saw in June that had lofty rankings that came in and camped at a lot of places um, didn't really feel the, the love or the we got to have you from a lot of those schools once they started working out. And I think the recruiting rankings are starting to establish or reflect that. Uh, you see a guy named like Andre Green Jr. Andre Green was a top 24 receiver, top 25 receiver when we really started talking about him maybe six to eight months ago. And now he's the number eight receiver in the country. Uh, you know, still very, very much interested in Clemson, North Carolina, Georgia, Penn State there. Andre Green Jr. is at Penn State this weekend. Uh, for the whiteout against Auburn. Um, but, you know, Luther is a guy that a lot of, a lot of our readers, a lot of our audience point to is like, man, need more five stars, need more guys like Luther Burden the third. And I think where Georgia is at right now, uh, where looks like we're a month away from his decision. Uh, I think Georgia's in a, in a decent to good spot there for Luther Burden. I think, I think Georgia fans are going to need to see him take an official visit or take a visit to UGA, maybe on for the Arkansas game. Uh, in the first week of October. I think that's one where you want to see visits work out and him have a chance to take an official and see Georgia for a game again. 
before that October the 20th um, finish line for his process. Um, so a couple big weeks here, I think, for Georgia with the Luther Burden third recruitment. Because uh, that's one thing, you know, I'm, I'm going to harp on this, and I know you're probably, I'm probably definitely preaching to BA in the choir about this one is I, Georgia's just got to get more yeah. sticks of dynamite at receiver. That's just what they have to do. They have to get guys like Ohio State has where they just throw the ball out there and the guy makes two guys miss, and it doesn't matter what play you're in, it doesn't matter what coverage the other team was in, the receiver just makes the plays better because of their skill set and their innate ability. I still think Georgia has to get a lot more of those guys in the program going forward. Totally agree. And my thing with Bird and my interest in him is not so much related to the fact that he's rated number one at the position. It's that he and probably Andre Green Jr. are the couple of what I think of as kind of upper-tier elite receivers that Georgia has that kind of relationship with right now, which is not to say that relationships can't flourish as you head towards the the, the winter and, and into December. But right now, the big names that Georgia seems to be a hat on the table for at the very least are Burden and Green. And so the fact that, that Burden is ranked you know number one or whatever he's ranked is kind of a cool thing. But the fact that he's interested in Georgia right now is probably the coolest thing of all because, you know, there frankly probably aren't enough of those for the 2022 class right now. Yeah, Brandon, I'd like to make one point on that topic. Everybody, uh, everybody loved the air show last week, speaking of flyers. Everybody loved the air show last week with Stetson Bennett. But here's what caught my eye about this. Where did Georgia kind of get a lot better and upgrade its kind of profile at receiver? That was, the 20, that was the 2020 class when Georgia brought in guys like Arian Smith, Jermaine Burton, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint. Uh, you know, Jermaine Burton, if I didn't mention him earlier, maybe he's so nice I got to mention him twice. Uh, but what happened here – is those were next-level upper echelon receivers. And they really made Stetson Bennett in that passing game look really good, whether it's just a, I'm going to run by you, which is what Jermaine Burton did, or try to keep up with me, which is what Arian Smith did. When you have those special receivers, uh, it elevates everything. You know, Jake Fromm didn't have receivers really like that. I don't think JT Daniels had enough receivers like that last year. Um, so that's why the receiver position is just so very important. Uh, and that's why they need to see – like, this is a need-to-see year. I think we were saying this like six months ago, where it doesn't matter how big the weight room is. It doesn't matter how great the light show is. It doesn't matter how great the hospitality is this fall in Athens. What will be Georgia's greatest recruiting vehicle is simply playing lights out on defense like it's doing now, uh, eviscerating offenses, and then wait with the way they can put up points on offense when they throw the ball like they did Saturday against UAB. No, I think that's exactly right. Let me finish with this. Speaking of good receivers, we were talking about that a moment ago. The two teams we're going to see tonight on Peachtree TV and on CBS 46, boy, they have a great collection of a lot of young receivers. Also two really good quarterbacks there as well. Tyler Hughes from Marietta, that's a Southern commit. This is one of the most dynamic athletes in the state of Georgia. Colin Houck on the Parkview side, the 2023 quarterback. But man, talk about a guy that stands in the pocket and delivers it with some confidence. I think that's a star on the rise. Parkview, Marietta, two of the most storied programs in the state. Parkview's collected state championships of the years. Marietta won one as recently as 2019 with one of the most loaded teams that we'd seen in the state of Georgia up until that point in time. I think this tonight's going to be really fun. Marietta's an unbelievable backdrop for high school football, one of the coolest old stadiums in the entire state. Fun tonight on Peachtree TV and streaming on CBS 46 to be able to showcase these really storied programs for a television audience. Great. You know, Brendan, I don't, I don't know. For me, the, the first name that comes to my mind when I hear Marietta High, Marietta High School is I still think of Eric Zier. Yeah. I still think of hearing about that and seeing those Atlanta Journal-Constitution photos of that stadium and 
highlights on uh, you know WSB TV or the local affiliates of Eric Zire playing for the Blue Devils and to go back there is really pretty stinking cool. Colin Colin Hauk at Parkview is a guy that you know everybody wants to know about star power, but Colin was good enough to get one of those "We Want You to Be a Dog" edits for Georgia in the 2023 class. Uh, now, as far as offers and interest and you know serious interest, I don't think that's there yet. But um, maybe, maybe the name like Arch Manning has a lot to do with that. But for for Colin, he's the type of guy that is on the radar. Uh, being recruited by the University of Georgia, I think he's throwing to a receiver that's committed to Georgia Tech right now. And folks, they're they're putting up. A, I mean, Colin's thrown about 250 yards a game so far yeah. in his uh, junior season, and you counter that with Marietta. Everybody remembers the name Daniel Martin, uh, still an All-American, getting a lot of interest from Florida State, Oregon, uh, also Vanderbilt, of course. Uh, very impressive athlete, especially for the guy that would counteract those new nouveau, new wave passing attacks. Marietta has a great program. Parkview has had a traditionally strong program, and I think folks are going to see another good show tonight. Yeah, Jeff, it's going to be great. Look forward to seeing you there for that. Of course, thanks for being here on the road. It's just about AAA with us here today. Hope you have a great weekend, and we'll look forward to the chance to chat again very soon. All right, guys. We'll see everybody in Sanford, and we're all going to be dry. Let's make that promise. There you take go. Take it easy, guys. Thanks, Jeff. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, good stuff with Jeff Sintel. We'll transition to our SEC Through. i got a couple final thoughts on the big SEC games of the weekend, kind of outside the Georgia Bulldogs. We'll get to that. But, of course, as you head towards the weekend, one of the things you're taking with you, I know, is Finnish Long Drink. It's from Finland. It looks like a beer, but it's not a beer. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail right out of the can that obviously harkens back to the days of the summer games being in Helsinki back in the 1950s. It's also delicious flavor as well. Whether you're talking about the Long Drink Zero, which is zero carbs, zero sugar, the traditional blue can, grapefruit flavor, gin-kicked, cranberry. Uh, it's kind of funny. I looked at my refrigerator last night. Uh, no judgments here, but... You know, we just had like so much like the long drink cranberry, the long drink, you know, the blue can traditional leftover from Dog Nation Invasion of the day. It kind of looks good, all kind of spread out there in the in the refrigerator. Somebody's going to get ready to enjoy themselves a good weekend. It won't be me. I'm going to be working the whole time. But uh, I'm assuming my lovely wife's going to be uh, relaxing and enjoying some of that finished long drink as uh, she gets ready to roll through the weekend here. And I hope you're getting ready to do the same thing there as well. If your refrigerator's not currently stocked with it, well, one of the ways you can make sure it is by going to thelongdrink.com. You can find out where it is close to you, talking about golf courses or bars or restaurants or beverage stores, you know, whatever else. It's really so easy to find now. And if you want to find out where it is close to you, wherever you might be, thelongdrink.com. More details on that. So let me make a quick point about the Florida-Alabama game, and this is what I find to be interesting. I told this to our video audience during our first and 15 this morning. There's actually a little bit of line movement in the direction of Florida here, which you don't typically see a lot for a lot of Alabama games. But here's one of the things I think is going to be really telling for Florida. I think for a coach like Mullen, who is kind of dumb but not stupid, if you get my drift on that, like if he knows he's got no chance to win this game, it is entirely possible to coach in such a way that you hope to keep it close, right? You know, you got a big crowd there, home fans, you know, Maybe a little bit of forgiveness you don't beat Alabama because, you know, almost no one ever does. So you may be just trying not to get embarrassed, and maybe you maybe you come out there and achieve that goal on Saturday. What does that look like? Here's the thing I want you to watch for, and sometimes it's kind of hard to tell about this, but other times it can be a little bit more obvious. Look at the pace with which Alabama and Florida play. 
Think about Florida in the SEC championship. Very content to play very fast. You obviously have you know big time offensive playmakers. You're moving the ball down the field. Florida put a lot of pressure on Alabama in that game with its offense, and Alabama had to score as much as it did just to win the game. Does Florida want to play that fast again on Saturday? Because obviously there's kind of a high variance factor with this. If you're looking to play quickly and get a lot of possessions, you're also giving Alabama a lot of possessions. That brings the Florida defense into this discussion a little bit. Florida's defense got torched in games that mattered late last season. Think about LSU. Think about, obviously, bowl game against Oklahoma, which Mullen says doesn't count, but it did occur. We saw it happen. Alabama game there as well. Does Dan Mullen trust Todd Grantham? Does he trust his defense enough to do offensively what needs to be done to play the game? Or does Mullen choose to play a little slower, limit the possessions just a little bit in the hopes that he keeps within a couple of touchdowns and lives to fight another day? This would be really telling to me. The same thing about quarterback there as well. At this point in time, most Florida fans have arrived at the point that we were at in the spring and the summer on this show, repeatedly telling you that we thought that Anthony Richardson would probably be the starting quarterback for Florida by the time you got to late October, George was thinking about going to play him in Jacksonville, the barring injury, that Richardson was probably the guy, and all of the praise and hype that Emory Jones was getting, pro football focus, people like that, we thought that was all hollow, that you could actually listen to what Dan Mullen was saying and realize that Jones did not have a stranglehold on that job Anthony Richardson's probably the better guy but does Mullen wait until after the Florida game against Alabama to to prove that does 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 he give Emory Jones one more shot and the thought of hey it looks better for Richardson to emerge as the starter after the Alabama game as opposed to being named starter now he's dealing with hamstring too so that kind of throws a little bit of a monkey wrench in this but does does you know Richardson does it, is it safer to kind of wait until after the Alabama game with him on that and say, you know, we're going to give him that that shot after that. We're not going to throw him out there against Alabama as the starter say, this is your game, unless Dan Mullen thinks he truly has a chance to win. That would be really telling. Does Mullen play aggressive defensively, led by Todd Grantham? Typically, Florida blitzes about 30%, 40% of the time. Do they do that against Alabama on Saturday? Does he let Richardson play quarterback, and does he turn him loose to do everything that, that he's – potentially capable of doing if you try that you could get blown out but if you think you have a chance to win you coach aggressively in that game tomorrow watch dan mullen on that see how aggressive he wants to be on the other side of things the other big game not involving george in the sec on saturday is auburn going to penn state now listen i'm like every other georgia fan i got no love for auburn whatsoever but do you find yourself at all a little annoyed by how much talk there is about the whiteout this week? Is that just a little bit annoying to you? That And part of this is based on the fact that they're doing whiteout versus SEC team. This is the first road game against a Big Ten opponent for Auburn, I think, since the 1930s. So there's a little bit of a unique aspect to that. There also wasn't a whiteout game a year ago. So there's a little bit more talk about the crowd and getting a chance to have the full stadium and everybody dressed up and everybody shaking the white shakers and doing all that kind of stuff. There's a little more of that right now just because you hadn't had it in a while and you're doing it against a non-Big Ten opponent. But there's a part of me that looks at Brian Harson, the first-year coach, and says, if you go up there and get embarrassed, if you go up there with this team, who's not a great SEC team, probably bottom half of the league type team if I had to guess, but if you go up there and get torched at State College and have all those Big Ten people saying, ah, the big bad SEC couldn't handle the hostile environment of Beaver Stadium in a game like this, just stay up there, Brian Harson. Don't come back down south. If you can't go up there and at least keep it close, because I don't need a first-year coach with a relatively depleted roster, 
I don't necessarily need you to win the game against a top 10 team on the road, but you better not get embarrassed. You better not lose by three touchdowns. You better not get overwhelmed in that spot. Because frankly, there's a lot of folks who don't quite know what to make of Brian Harson yet. We talk about that every week on SEC Country Live. There's a lot of skepticism about him seemingly on the planes. So at the very least, keep it close. And really, that's a theme for me. Florida, if it keeps it close against Alabama, honestly, it lives to fight another day. Auburn, keep it close against Penn State, probably lives to fight another day. There's no such thing as moral victories. But for these particular teams in this particular spot on Saturday, keeping it close may be good enough for what exists after this on their particular schedules. But if Harson gets embarrassed, he's doing the entire SEC a disservice. I can't root for Auburn, not even against a Big Ten opponent like this. But there's a certain sense in which – like, where does Penn State get off thinking they're going to overwhelm some SEC team with its crowd? Then I remember, oh, yeah, Auburn's a bunch of doofuses and Harson's a first-year coach. Who knows what they're capable of doing in a spot like this? So I think it's a pretty fascinating game. Uh, game day is going to be there, but uh, but but Harson just better represent the SEC. This ain't Boise State anymore. Come down here, get ready to play well in a spot like this. Otherwise, you're doing the entire conference a disservice. One more thing. I think we're going to – do we have this to show on video? Yeah, so we talked the other day about the decal, or decal, however you say it, that uh, Tulane was going to wear in the back of its helmets. We now have more information about the full helmet they're wearing. Brett McMurphy shared this on Twitter. This is – and I know if you're not watching a video, you can't see this, so I apologize. But this is probably the coolest-looking helmet I've ever seen. This is Greeny, the old mascot for Tulane back when they were in the SEC. It is like a work of art, The like the – it's like a football player child's what it looks like with a green wave flag. This is unbelievable. And now Ole Miss, I think, is a pretty cool jersey uniform type team anyway. Ain't nothing like this Tulane helmet. Good Lord and have mercy. How much can they sell those things for if they put those things for sale? That is a good-looking helmet. It's going to be a fun game between Tulane and Ole Miss. The over-under is like 90 or 80 or some crazy high number. Both these teams expected to score a lot of points. And uh, at least on the two-lane side, a very cool helmet being shown off there as well. We'll make that your SEC through. And as we get ready to wrap up here on the week, let me remind you that if you're getting ready for the weekend, one of the great things you can do to get ready for that is take advantage of the terrific ribs and whiskey event currently ongoing at Marlowe's Tavern. Now, you can stop by and eat in the dining room, and that's always a great way to celebrate all of the different menu items, whether it's the refreshing cocktails that go with it, obviously wine and beer there as well, plus the limited-time special menu that features the honey bread, uh, honey, easy for me to say, the honey bourbon bread pudding dessert, all kinds of new barbecue items that include either the Jack Daniels glaze or the Carolina mustard. This is really, really fun. Delicious, delicious food from Marlowe's. Of course, chef inspired the way it always has been. Or if you want to like get this to go, take it back and serve it at your own kind of like home gate or take it with you. You can go to Athens or wherever you're going. Just delicious food from Marlowe's Tavern. It's only for a limited time. This is honestly my most favorite thing that Marlowe's does during the uh, during the year. The terrific, terrific Marlowe's Tavern ribs and whiskey event. So make sure you check that out today. It's Marlowe'sTavern.com for more details. Marlowe'sTavern.com for uh, more on that. Ribs and whiskey, such a fun thing at Marlowe's right now. So I hope you'll go by and see that at whatever um, tavern is close to you there in your neighborhood. Really good stuff from Marlowe's all the way around on that. Also want to finish off the week in style with our uh, Gatorade Roll Call, a couple of golden shoes to give out here. First of all, 
Um, speaking of uh, folks having fun on the weekend, obviously Classic City Lager, we love that. Our buddy Texas Dog is one of our great commenters in town in Athens for the game. Stopped by the Blind Pick Tavern, one of the great watering holes there in the Athens area. And enjoying himself a taste of Athens while he's there from Creature Comforts Brewing Company. Our friends at Classic City Lager, good stuff from Texas Dog on that. Texas Dog, thanks for that all the way around. Also, our buddy Barkalot, who's become quite a prolific Photoshop sharer here. Gives you a winner-winner chicken dinner with the dogs over the Gamecocks on Saturday. Good stuff there by Barkalot. Another golden shoe going out in your direction. Of course, Gator Hater Countdown as we wrap up today. It's 43 days from right now. Georgia gets a win against Florida. We'll see you then. And, of course, see you back here Monday. Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. Y'all enjoy the game, everybody. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. We'll take some of your comments, whether you send them to the comment section at dognation.com or hitting me up on Twitter at dognationdaily. Just appreciate your interaction all the way around. Uh, our buddy Ed OG on Twitter shares this interesting stat coming from Katie uh, Pondesico about Dan Mullen, that apparently over his career, Mullen is 2-28 and on the field against teams who finished the year ranked inside the AP Top 10. So that obviously does not bode well for him against Alabama on Saturday. It also speaks to what Mullen has done over the course of his career of Always seeming to get credit for doing more with less, but doing more with more hasn't quite been Mullen's strong suit as of yet. So pretty interesting stat ahead of the game for Alabama against Florida on Saturday. Mark Morris weighs in to say, in support of our Dog Nation Daily sponsors, I signed up with BetUS and dropped some funds on the dogs, minus the 31.5, and and Bama minus the 14.5 over the hated Gators. Always fun to support our sponsors. Hopefully my pocketbook will be pleased. I'm very happy to hear Mark saying that. Obviously, I appreciate your support of our sponsors, and best of luck with your picks there on that. The other thing that I think is kind of nice here, and this is what I hope we're moving into, right, is that, you know, I've, I've talked before about the the general nature of Georgia fans, especially Georgia fans of kind of like my age generation, influenced by Vince Dooley or influenced by Larry Munson. Sometimes it does not seem like Georgia fans are always a very confident lot, and maybe there are reasons to feel that way. You remember disappointing games of the past or whatever else. Now, Non-Georgia fans would say, well, Georgia fans are delusional. They're overconfident. But the truth is, I don't know that Georgia is any different than than the average college football fan base when it comes to, to certain issues like that. I think some of that kind of stuff gets overplayed from time to time. But the point is, is if a Georgia fan like Mark is really to the point now where he says, hey, going into this game on Saturday, not only do I believe that Georgia will win by more than 30 points, I feel confident enough I'm going to put my own money down on that as proof. Now, obviously, you know, bets can be lost or won the same way investments can go up or down. We understand that. But I think there's been a time in Georgia's past when there was like this, ooh, be careful, you know, tiptoe into games, don't get overwhelmed with the thought of everything being easy, you know, uh, respect that anybody could trip you up at any point in time, which is obviously kind of true, but there's a certain point of stature that a program can aspire to where all of a sudden you don't get worried about being upset. You don't, you know, have this fear that there's doom waiting around the corner. And even with JT Daniels currently not healthy, or at least what I assume is not healthy, maybe he does end up playing on Saturday, but my presumption is is that it's going to be Stetson Bennett still starting. Based on the way that Bennett played a week ago against this kind of competition, you assume that Georgia ought to sail again. So let's see if it really is as easy as some Georgia fans, Mark included, are kind of saying right now of, hey, I feel confident that my team is going to go into a game on Saturday night against what on paper looks to be an overmatched opponent, and they're going to make that team look that way throughout the four quarters of the game. I think that's pretty good stuff. Of course, Manatee Jetpack on Twitter does remind us something else. This is important. 
the potential for a torrential downpour on Saturday. And, yeah, I mean, the weather is worth watching. I'm not great at reading forecasts. I think sometimes they have a tendency, especially in our part of the world, to change pretty quickly here. But obviously, a lot of rain could change all of that. I'm really hoping it stays away because I love the night game atmosphere. I'm really looking forward to this. The light show and the fans who've enjoyed uh, days worth of tailgating, you know, getting in there to make the, the atmosphere itself feel really big. I'm just really looking forward to all of that. And so I hope that the weather doesn't impact that too much. So we'll be following that closely. Don't forget, we'll have you Kroger kickoff pregame before the game tomorrow, after the game on our Dog Nation postgame show throughout the day at dognation.com with any big important news as it kind of breaks out. So make sure you check out all of that. Big thanks to R.S. Andrews for making the R.S. Andrews cool down possible. Air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric. R.S. Andrews can be trusted to do all of that for you. If your water heater goes out, in many cases they can replace it for you the same day. Just find them online at rsandrews.com. We shall see you Monday. Enjoy the game on Saturday. It's Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. We'll talk to you next week, everybody.